Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This is a time of the year when we reach into the Salt and Light Vault and pull out some of our favorite conversations. This week, Camille Pauly of Healing the Culture introduces us to a new pro-life curriculum. And Chesterton expert Dale Alquist tells us why he is the perfect thinker. Singer-songwriter Rene Bondi has a new book, Still I Will Praise, and we listen to music from Sal Solo. Remember that you can listen to any of these interviews at any time by simply going to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio, and that's also where you can listen to uninterrupted music, Christian music like you've never heard before. Email us at radio at saltandlighttv.org and visit us on Facebook. I'm Deacon Pedro. We begin now with a new pro-life curriculum. Now, ever since I spent some time thinking about all the pro-life arguments, I've been interested in being able to have that conversation with anyone and everyone. And very soon into my research, I learned about the life principles and about an organization called Healing the Culture, co-founded by Jesuit father Robert Spitzer, author of The Life Principles. And what I learned, I loved. It's invaluable. And now, high school teachers all over can use this material in the classroom and I'm, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very excited because it truly is life-changing information. And to tell us all about it, we are now joined by co-founder and president of Healing the Culture, Camille Pauly. Camille, it is so good to have you on the program. Hi, Deacon Pedro. Good to be on the show. I know. It's been a while. It's been a while, and you're a deacon now. Congratulations. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and you have this wonderful curriculum now. Um, that I do want to talk about, but maybe we should back up a bit. And so can you quickly tell us what, what is Healing the Culture? Sure. Healing the Culture is the name of our organization, and we're very unique in the pro-life world. Specifically, we exist to help people with a sophisticated and intelligent um, explanation for why we are pro-life. Mm-hmm. So many young people in our culture are already pro-life, but they don't, they're embarrassed or ashamed by it. They don't know how to explain it exactly. to their friends. Um, so they hide it, or um, sadly, some of them try to pretend like they're on the other side when they're really not. Right. So our organization has developed what we call the Ten Life Principles, which are basic principles of civilization. They are used by every major civilization in the world. They uh-huh. do not need to be, you know, religiously based yeah. um, to be used. And we teach people how to explain pro-life with these principles. That's what I think. What What really excited me when I first learned about them is that they're not. Nobody can can point a finger and say don't shove religion down my throat because it's That's not right. religion. That's right. It's like the principle of non-maleficence is one of them. Do no harm. If you think that shoving religion down your throat, try living in a culture that doesn't believe in that principle. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> You're not going to last very long. So, so these are very basic principles, of course, totally supported by our Catholic faith, and many of, of these principles came from Catholic, um, you know, Catholic uh, priests or uh, you know, other, other Catholic thinkers, but they apply across the board to any civilization, religious or not. Now, maybe some of our, our listeners uh, have heard about the four stages of happiness, for example. How does that fit into the life principles? Yes, Father Spitzer calls this the four levels of happiness, and this comes from 2,000 years of study, and 
and definitely doesn't originate in Father Spitzer, but he put them together in a unique way to show that every human being desires four different kinds of happiness. Mm -hmm. The physical pleasure, the ego gratification, Uh a sense of self-esteem, contribution to others, a sense that you're making a positive difference to others, and connection to the divine, a sense that you are a part of ultimate love and unconditional truth and goodness, Uh which is surrender to God, um, to, to Jesus Christ specifically. So what he's done is to show that our culture is very steeped in levels one and two, very materialistic, very egocentric, and it is totally shaping a pro-abortion, pro-euthanasia culture. So what we try to do is move people in their hearts into embracing level three and level four attitudes and behaviors, and that helps them to adopt these principles, like the principle of Mm non-maleficence, that are so essential to the pro-life movement and to civilization in general. Okay, so you said that there are ten principles. Can you, without having to explain them, can you maybe quickly mention what some of them are, or all of them? Sure, there's the basic principle of natural human rights. Mm -hmm. Um, In the States, it would be referred to as inalienable rights. Uh, You would probably call them fundamental or foundational human rights. And these are, uh, uh, you know, that life is the foundation of all other rights, and without it, you don't have any other rights. And so that develops the principle of the hierarchy of rights, that you cannot have a right Uh to liberty without first protecting the right to life. Another quick example would be the principle of the intrinsic dignity of the person. Your value and worth does not come from how developed you are as a human being, Uh um, or whether or not you live in or out of the womb. Your value as a human being comes from the fact that you have the potential to participate in love and goodness Mm -hmm. and justice and surrender to God. And an unborn child has that potential as Mm -hmm. much as a born human being does, so they have as much worth and value. It's the same principle that uh, the famous Jesuit um, um, Bartolomeo, or or Dominican Bartolomeo de las Casas, had to apply to the Indians when the Spaniards were trying to enslave and murder them. And he said, look, just because they're not as advanced doesn't mean they are not uh, fully human with full human potential and value. Yeah. Right. I, I love the idea of potential, and I know because I've, I mean, I've seen your your workshop a few times, and I've read the book. But the idea of that, you know, the seed, the an oak seed has the potential to become an oak tree. Does that mean that it's not an oak tree? But it's, but it's an oak. The key is that it's an oak. It's so it an has oak. the potential yes. to grow into a tree in the same way that a fetus has the potential to grow into an adult. But that that fetus is a human being. It's not an adult any more exactly. than the seed of the oak is a is, tree. Is a fully, of course, it's not a tree, but tree. that's a stage of development. Exactly. So that, that's another principle, yeah. which is the principle of how you define things. So all of these principles are essential yeah. to biology, philosophy, law, politics. And the kids love these principles in the classroom because all of a sudden they're not embarrassed to be pro-life anymore. In fact, they're proud of it. They're excited by it. Kids who are not pro-life start asking a ton of questions because for the first time the pro-life movement makes sense to them. And they're learning principles that can be applied to any social issue, to any personal or social issue. So why, so you've, I mean, how similar is this curriculum to, let's say, the workshop that you've been doing for so many years? Is it very similar in terms of, the content? The, the content is very similar, although we have 20 years of experience now how to articulate this, um, both the content in a way that is very accessible to high school students, and we have a lot of experience of how to deliver it. So it's very different in its delivery. Mm-hmm. We have 
Uh, for the classroom, we have textbooks and teacher books and DVDs. Uh, there's a play, uh, you know, a dramatic play wow. that goes along with it, and audio plays and PowerPoint presentations and lecture notes and social media tools and a huge Internet library for the hmm. kids to access. So it's a very multimedia, very professional, very engaging a curriculum, which can also actually be used in homeschools, right. in youth groups, Parishes, and for yeah. personal study as well. Okay, and does it, can you, let's say that someone, uh, there's a teacher listening right now, and she's in, teaches grade 11, but the curriculum starts in grade 9, can she just pick it up in grade 11 and start there? Or oh, do you yeah, have to? they are actually what we call four different units, and we encourage people to use unit 1 in grade 9 and unit 2 in grade 10. Etc. All the way through grade twelve, right. but um, that's the best way for kids to learn it, and it would be like a four-week, a two to four-week unit in each grade. Okay. So every year they'd get a two to four-week, um, we call it principles and choices class. Yeah. But they don't have to. These units can be taken out of order. They can just do okay. the eleventh grade piece. They can pick it up in the twelfth grade. They can use the ninth grade piece in the grade twelve. You know, you can. They're very, very um, flexible in how a teacher can utilize them. And the pieces are utilizable. You can use just the textbooks. You can uh, use just the audio, just the drama, right. um, you know, just the lecture notes. So you don't have to use everything. Um, but people can learn more about that on our on, on our website, website yes. uh, healingtheculture.com. The uh, the name of the curriculum is Principles and Choices. Right. So if they get to healingtheculture.com and click on the Principles and Choices link, they can just find out a lot more about it. So it's called Principles, I get because of the. I guess because of the life principles and choices exactly. because that leads us to make better choices? How, what's the Exactly, and because it helps us to understand well, you know, what free will is and how to use that not only to make better choices but also to build a better culture. Um, you can use your, your choices to destroy culture, which is happening yes. today, or you can use it to uplift and, and re, uh, you know, refine culture, and that's what uh, we're encouraging kids to do. Now, you've, uh, you've uh, tried the curriculum, I know, in some schools in the Seattle area, correct? Oh, yeah. And in yes, Alabama? Yes, uh, Alabama and uh, Seattle area, and it's been amazing. Uh, the statistics showed that there was significant movement, not only from pro-life kids um, who were embarrassed to now being proud of pro-life, but significant movement from kids who were not pro-life in the first place, saying things like, um, you know, I would never have an abortion now, or um, I never understood, but now I understand pro-life, or now I have become pro-life, after only two weeks of classes. Right. And but it's, we kind of did a shortened no, uh, session, and it was amazing. And these were Catholic schools, or, or any? These, these were Catholic schools. So the curriculum is designed specifically for a Christian classroom. It yeah. doesn't have to be specifically class, Catholic, but... Um, yep. But it does assume the kid, the child is sitting in a Christian classroom. Okay. So you wouldn't be able to use it in a public school, even though the content that it's teaching is very, you know, right. uh, oriented towards any. But it's it, this yeah. curriculum, Catholics and Christian schools wanted something that wasn't uh, afraid to talk about God and, okay. you know, here's who God is. So it does have the faith element in it. Um, so if you want to use this in a public school or a public setting, we encourage people to get the play, which is called Robert and Emma. And uh -huh. uh, that play piece, which is used in the classroom, can be separated from the rest of the curriculum and used in a public setting. Okay, good. And maybe just a quick question. So if I was going to adapt it to, let's say, a parish setting and I wanted to mm -hmm. do all of it, how yeah. can I do, it, you said it was four weeks per year, but can I do like a 16-week session? Or is absolutely, it, absolutely. Is that you how can it would do, work? Yep, they can meet once a week. Most youth groups will meet, week, meet once a week. Weekly. You can do one chapter, you know, one piece of a unit per week, okay. and it would last 16 weeks. Or you can, you know, if you don't want to do 16 whole weeks, you can do 10 or 8 and yeah, pick the ones okay. you like the best. Okay, good. I'm really excited about this. This is this is so good and so needed and so useful. Uh, I'm going to, like, 
tell everyone I know. So I hope that we have a lot of people listening. Camille, it's been great speaking to you. You guys are doing great work. I'm a big oh, fan. Oh, thanks, Pedro. You keep too. At it. God bless you. Well, keep us in your prayers. We will, for sure. That was Camille Pauly. She's the president of Healing the Culture and creator of the Principles and Choices curriculum. To learn more, go to healingtheculture.com. We're also going to put that, that website on our website so you can easily find it. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Renee Bondi, with her song, I Am. Oh, gently lay your head upon my chest. Like a mother while you rest The tide can change so fast But I will stay The same through past The same in future Upon my chest 
that was Renee Bondi with I Am from her album Mercies in Disguise. Now, if you're in the same place where Renee Bondi was a few years ago, recovering from a terrible accident that left you paralyzed, you might be wondering how you can think about praising God. Well, Renee Bondi asked herself this question many times, and now in her book, Still I Will Praise, she shares some of her own stories and also from others who have found joy in trusting God through times of insecurity, grief, loss, and loneliness. And to tell us more about her book and these stories, I am now joined by Renee Bondi. Renee, it's great to have you back on the program. Thank you so much for having me. So, still, uh, it's just too long to say the whole name, so still I will praise the power of praising God even when you don't feel like it. Uh, it's <laughs> a great title. Why is there power in, in praising God? Well, this power I describe uh, is the strength that you receive from no other resource. It's a healing, it's really, Deacon, a healing mental shift that comes from a radical change of focus, getting off of your existing burden and onto our Almighty God. That really takes a real commitment to saying, okay, I'm going to come off of my existing burden, the pain that I'm in, uh-huh. and say, God, you are still on the throne. And a lot of people think this power is for someone else, mm-hmm. but I promise it's readily available to each one of us and really ser- serves as a, an incredible release and relief. God honors our praising Him. Do, do you see a difference between, because people talk about g- being thankful or, or grateful at all times, but you're not only talking about thanksgiving. You're specifically talking about praise. Do, is there a difference, or is thanksgiving part of that praise? You know, they're pretty interchangeable in my heart, in my experience. Um, having a praise, praising heart really means that you have a grateful heart. But sometimes we have to make it almost a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. When I broke my neck, and there were times where I sitting in this wheelchair saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want my body back. Mm -hmm. Um, It was was becoming detrimental mentally. It was was, um, hurting my relationships. It was hurting my my body Mm -hmm. um, as well. And when I was praying, uh, saying, God, I need some more tools, Lord. I cannot do this anymore. And then after my begging time, I would get quiet. And as I got still and quiet, what popped into my head was, I've always wanted to be one of those kind of people that praises you no matter what, Jesus. Yeah. And so right then, I made that commitment. Lord, I praise you for, I praise you for this comfortable pillowcase on my bed. I praise you for this comfortable sheet. Right. I praise you for my, my husband. I praise you for my son. I praise you for the caregiver that comes every morning to help me get dressed and help me use the bathroom. And I was changing my mind uh, from this sourpuss, this, this <laughs> painful, complaining quadriplegic woman yeah. <laughs> to a woman that kept saying, Lord, I, I praise you for this, I praise you for that, I praise you for this beautiful flower I'm looking at, I praise you for the clouds in the sky, I praise you for the fact that I can breathe. Yeah. And so, yes, that does sound like, well, okay, she's turning into a, a person with a grateful heart, but we praise him in all things and at all times. Right. Uh, and that does come from recognizing the gifts that he has given us. 
Okay, so let me ask you this then, because the chap. I mean, I love the way the book is structured in terms, you know, we praise him in times of waiting, in times of frustration, praising God when things are bad. Um, and I know you, you didn't want to focus on praising God when things are good, because probably people who praise God are doing that anyway. But do you think that we tend to, some people might even, even forget that, that we, when we think of praise as prayer, that I, I'm happy to go to God in times of trial, but when things are going well, I don't go to God. Do you think that it works in the reverse as well? Absolutely. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, I think we just forget uh, right. that when we're on the mountaintop, when things are going great, yes, there's oftentimes we'll say, whoops, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We're so grateful. And it also depends on how long we've been walking with the Lord, mm. truly, deeply, personally walking with the Lord. And I don't mean just going through the motions and saying, oh, okay, I'm going to Mass on Sunday because that's what I do with my family. Oh, I'm, you know, I go on Holy Dose obligation yeah, out yeah, of yeah. guilt. <laughs> or having to because that's what yeah, my just going through the motions, yeah. But actually really taking advantage, I hate to use that word, but I, there's no other way of putting it, of of realizing God died on the cross. Jesus died, took the nails for each one of us. And so in the sacrifice of the Mass, when we come to his, his Thanksgiving Eucharistic table, uh, that is when we we realize, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you that you give us the grace to get through our valleys and through our burdens. So if we if we've been walking with the Lord um, as as strong, deep Christians, as deep as deep Catholics, then I think it comes quicker and easier when we recognize the mountaintop experience. Uh-huh. But when we're but when we are when when we've become Easter Christmas yeah. Catholics, yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. as we sometimes call Easter Bunny Catholics, yes, yes, then then we we forget. Right. We forget that God really is the one that is the source of of any goodness that comes our way, and we forget that He truly is faithful. And and Deacon, I've I've come to really own that and to know that when the doctors told me that I would never walk again that mm-hmm. I would never have functional use of my hands again and that was just a couple months before my wedding yes that was 23 years ago now wow. but Mike stayed with me we are now married this year we are yes. celebrating 23 years of marriage our son that I gave birth to after my entry Amazing. Yes. into our, our, our marriage is now 17 years old and a, and a great guy and yes. so the longer we we rely and lean into our our Lord during the difficult times, the more we it comes very naturally to praise Him when we are on the mountaintop. Um, you said something earlier that made me think, uh, just in terms of how how that that attitude of praise changes us. If we don't have, and I don't, maybe attitude is not the right word, but if we don't have that that spirit. Um, because you said something in the book that our, if if we stop praising him, our hearts are hardened. Mm-hmm. What well, do you Romans, mean? If you really take a look at Romans chapter one, um, Saint Paul really is talking about um, people that have stopped praising God. When you stop praising God, you start praising something else, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is 
wealth or relationships, or in my case, my body. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I had a mindset at times that really was destructive. Well, if I had use of my hands, I could do this such and such. If I had use of my feet, I'd be able to do such and such. Right. It, you know, if I had use of my hands, I'd be better at doing such and such. And I always, everything I did for a while there was looked through a filter of if, uh-huh. if I had my my body, if I wasn't in this wheelchair, if I wasn't quadriplegic. Yeah. And I finally had to shut it down, <laughs> really shut down that mindset because when I, I realized I was kind of starting to praise a, right. an able body. I was praising a body that worked, and I had to realize and bring it bring this disabled body to the foot of the cross in front of Jesus and say, Lord, I give this to you. I surrender this this paralyzed body to you, Lord Jesus. I still have my mind. I still have my personality. I still have the ability to smile. Jesus, will you be the joy? Will you be the joy provider in my soul and mm-hmm. let me enjoy this journey rather than keep saying, well, if I had my body, I'd be happy. So there came a point where I was feeling like I was actually praising my previous life and I was pra- praising my previous body before my injury and I had to bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender this. Lord, I need to have joy in this journey, mm-hmm. Lord Jesus. And so I ask you that you would help me to completely surrender this paralysis so that I can be laughing again, that I can be happy again, that, Lord, I, I don't want to be praising something else. I only want to be praising you and where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Will you please? take this pain away and so Lord Jesus I praise you and I'm going to come to the mountaintop in this wheelchair and love you through it all Amen Renee that's all the time we have but thank you so much for sharing the book with us your thoughts and and so much of this is your own journey your own experience and and sometimes that's not easy so thank you Renee for for doing what you do and for for sharing with us today Thank you, Deacon, so much for having me. Renee Bondi, she's a singer, songwriter, speaker, and spinal cord survivor and author. Her new book, Still I Will Praise, The Power of Praising God Even When You Don't Feel Like It, is published by CLC Publications, and you can find out more at Renee's website, reneebondi.com. Here now is Renee with her song, Everlasting God.
You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Gilbert Keith Chesterton was one of the most prolific and well-known writers of his time. He is also one of the most widely quoted authors in our time. He wrote social commentary, literary criticism, poetry. He also wrote many novels and short stories, including the beloved Father Brown Mysteries. Chesterton expert Dale Alquist says that to think like G.K. Chesterton means to be a complete thinker. And that's why he wrote a book, The Complete Thinker, The Marvelous Mind of G.K. Chesterton. And Dale Alquist joins me now on the phone. Dale, welcome to the program. Deacon Pedro, great to be with you. So, uh, straight up, you've written all these books about Chesterton. Why do we really need another one? Because you can't get enough of Chesterton. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Well, <laughs> throw me some more softballs. I can just keep hitting them over the fence. Okay, so why? here's another one. Why would people read what you have to say about Chesterton when they can just read Chesterton? Well, hopefully they will start reading Chesterton. Really, my books are to get people in the door and to put them at ease. He can be a little bit intimidating. Right. And because he wrote so much, people really don't even know where to begin. So I am sort of like Virgil to their Dante. (laughs) Right. So it's invitational. You're you're, uh, preparing the way. Exactly. So tell me, um, you obviously love this guy. What what are some things about Chesterton that that really grab you personally? Well, of course, uh, when I started reading Chesterton, I was not even Catholic. So the the first number he did on me was to bring me to the Catholic Church. Mm. But I shouldn't even say that was the first. That's that was probably the ultimate thing he did. Uh, right. He he just impressed me with his gigantic mind and his amazing literary talent, his ability to put into words these complicated ideas and make them so accessible. And someone who really approached everything with such common sense and such uh, basic wisdom that is so overlooked in our in our world today. And I was astonished that. I had not been exposed to him in my formal education. I had thought it was a bit of a scandal, and that helped uh, that helped inspire me to uh, to start the American Chesterton Society, whose goal is really to to bring Chesterton back to the popularity that he once had during his lifetime. You actually mention a little bit uh, about that at the beginning of the book, and you say, you know, why is this man? He's so prolific. Why why aren't students studying him in university? Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a couple reasons, Deacon. I think one is. Uh, he, he, the problem we just mentioned, he wrote so much, and he wrote in all these different genres and all these different subjects, and we have such a poor educational system in terms of compartmentalizing things right. and fragmentizing everything, so he, there's no category to put him in. That's right, you can't pigeonhole our categories. Yeah. But then to make things even more complicated, he's Catholic, and he's uh. always defending the Catholic faith, and that's just so uncomfortable. Right, right. Now, why you say that he, thinking like Chesterton, means to be a complete thinker, but what does that mean? What is a complete thinker? Well, you know, all, all of, our, pro, all of our, our thoughts need to be connected to each other. Chesterton says thinking needs means connecting things. And again, in our educational system, in our social system, everything is separated from everything else. And Chesterton says the world is one wild divorce court. Mm. 
And, and yeah. so we, we, we become specialists. We become narrow. We don't see how science and the humanities should be connected, how faith and reason should be connected. And, uh, and so we've, we've lost the ability to, to stretch our minds across different ideas. So, so and, and, and everything not only has to be connected to each other, but it all has to be connected to one central truth. And if it, as soon as it becomes disconnected from that central truth, which of course is the incarnation, well, then it, it really, we have all these, these things floating by themselves. So you, so you don't think that even people are, or kids are taught how to think today in school? No, not at all. In fact, I think one of the earliest chapters in the book is simply how to think. Yes, yes. Um, and, 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 and so how, to think means to connect things. My dad used to say, you made me think, he used to, because he used to get upset when I had a cousin who was like a computer genius and everybody said, he's a computer genius. And my dad would say, well, he's not a genius. He just knows computers. But what about philosophy and what about literature and what about all these other things? So <laughs> you're making me think that that's, that, is that what you mean? That people should be well-rounded, well-read, that they should be able to talk about various topics and use good Your language? father sounds like a wise man. He <laughs> is. <laughs> that, that really is uh, so much of it. We, we do need to be able to uh, be well-rounded and, and take on these different subjects. And it's not that we have to know everything about them, but we have to know how they, they all fit together. And so, you know, with, with a basic core wisdom, we can approach any topic and have the right thoughts about it. Do you think that some of this has to do with the difference between having knowledge and having wisdom? Oh, a absolutely. A absolutely. I mean, I think knowledge is, is very important, but, but you know, it, it, it's useless without the, the glue of wisdom to hold it together and, and put it in, in its proper hierarchy. Right. So, so people might have a lot of information in their head, but that doesn't mean that they know how to, how, like you say, how it connects or how, how to make use of it. Right. And that's what Chesterton really is the master of. And he, he has this way of condensing great ideas and making them uh, accessible. And I think that's one of his greatest strengths as, as a writer and as, as a thinker. Now, for people who are just hearing about this book right now, maybe some people are hearing about Chesterton for the first time. Um, why did, can you explain a little bit about how you organized the book in terms of the chapters? Um, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we lay out the first how to think, then uh, there's, a, there's a chapter on, on truth. Truth is a a difficult subject these days. Uh, Chesterton was very much the prophet of of seeing how relativism was going to be a uh, a way an enemy of the truth. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of talking about truth. Uh, and then and then we you cannot really discuss philosophy at all unless we agree that there's such a thing as free will and that the decisions we make matter. But that means that there's the ability to make wrong decisions, which of course leads to sin. Right, and uh, and so we have to lay out the the case for evil and for sin and deal with that major philosophical problem. But then after we uh, after we get all that unpleasantness out of the way, mm -hmm. Deacon, we we start taking on all these different subjects like uh, uh, politics, law, medicine, war, peace, East, West, old, new, young, old, mm -hmm. all the all the basic categories. And Chesterton's a uh, approach to to all these things and right. try to get you to see through his eyes yeah i was going to ask you about the, the chapter about evil and and how that fit in so so thank you now would you say that this is a book about chesterton or a book about how we should think yeah it's it's really a book about everything else we just, <laughs> i'm trying to give you 
the opportunity he had to look through Chesterton's eyes to think his thoughts after him. I mean, obviously, we, we do explore his marvelous mind. That's what we're doing, but we're really exploring the world through his marvelous mind. Right. So what what is your hope for readers? What do you hope that readers will take from this book? Well, if everyone reads the book, Deacon Pedro, uh, everyone will be better thinkers and the world will be a better place. There you go. Do you think, and again, just looking at the layout, <laughs> it, it, that this book would lead people... I mean, is your hope that it would lead people to to, to a deeper truth? Not that yeah, you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Wanna... And what's interesting is this: this book is not um, a Catholic book per se, and yet it um, the Catholic faith informs everything in it. But it's not a it's not an exposition of of Catholic dogma or or uh, you know the the, right. the, uh, the pillars of the church or anything like that. It and and that's what's so interesting about Chesterton, even though he is known as a defender of the faith. He doesn't write about the faith that much. He writes about everything else, you know, through the lenses of the faith. So he, uh, someone once said Chester never writes about religion so much as when he's writing about something else. Exactly right. And it's not a book. It's not a book just for Catholics. It's a book oh, for, it's for anybody. everybody. Yeah, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, it'll, it'll introduce people to Catholic thinking without them even being aware of it. You know? <laughs> well, good. I, I'm hoping that that's what we're doing here is just letting people... Uh know about this 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 man Chesterton I don't know I, I maybe people haven't heard about him and uh, they might be intrigued to learn a little more um, either by reading your books or <laughs> by going straight to him so Dale Alquist thank you very much for joining us today and for sharing your insights my great pleasure Deacon God bless you Dale Alquist is the president of the American Chesterton Society you can get more information about his work there and about GK Chesterton at Chesterton dot org dale alquist is also the host of the tv series the apostle of common sense which airs on ewtn and he's the author of many books on gk chesterton including his latest the complete thinker which is published by ignatius press here now is our featured artist of the week sal solo with aids africa
Sal Solo with AIDS Africa from his new album, We Cry Justice. Sal Solo was the lead singer of the 80s British pop band Classics Nouveau. But after a powerful conversion, he began to release Christian albums, and he now sees himself as a youth evangelizer, spending most of his time doing large youth events and confirmation retreats. Sal joins me now on the phone from his home in Chicago. Sal, it is so good to finally have you on the program. Welcome. Great to talk with you again, Pedro. So I know that, that we could probably spend an hour or more just talking about all your, your, your long career, but I want to focus on this conversion moment and the song San Damiano that some people might remember, I'm not sure. So what, what sort of happened to you then? Well, I was very young when I started the music business. I had my first record deal when I was 21, and in the space of a few years, I'd been in 30 countries and had hit records and concerts and stadiums, and still, I was not really happy. And so I found myself in a hotel room. It was actually in Poland after a huge concert, and I said, everything the world's got to offer doesn't seem to make you happy, so maybe there's something outside of this world. God, if you're really there, I want to know. And uh, I didn't receive an immediate thunderclap or St. Paul on the road to Damascus, right. but I started a search. And I happened upon uh, another uh, guy in a band who was a born-again Christian. And uh, it, it was kind of refreshing to find somebody in the rock business who didn't uh, take drugs and, you know, was, uh, mm -hmm. drink and smoke and womanize. And we ended up going on a pilgrimage to Italy to this shrine, San Damiano. Yes, yes, and yes. at the beginning, I hated it. And after a couple of days, I was zapped by God, and I came back 
wanting to give up everything and just to join a monastery or whatever. <laughs> but I wrote the song about San Damiano, and it became a top 20 hit. And so I thought that maybe uh, this is what God had for me now, that I was going to continue being famous and sing songs about God. But what I found was that people in the music business, people in the media, who all wanted were very keen to interview me about my newfound faith uh, when it was Christmas time. A few mm. months later, they didn't want to hear about it anymore. And uh, I got more ambitious because I thought, well, if I can have a top 20 hit that's about God, maybe I can talk about some other important things. Mm -hmm. And so I took on the pro-life cause and I made a love song from an unborn baby to the mother that didn't want it. And it was blacklisted everywhere. Hmm. And I was so shocked and horrified. We, you know, we all think that the music business is the one place where anything goes, but it doesn't. It's only anything goes if it fits their agenda and their lifestyle. Right. And so I said, I don't really want to have anything to do with this. And so I left uh, the mainstream music business, the world of entertainment. And around the time when San Damiano was a hit, uh, one of the guys that was in my band, Classics Nouveau, his younger brother was in a Catholic high school in London, and he told the teacher he knew me, and he said, uh, well, can you get him to come to our school? So I had never really given a speech at that time, but I was used to being interviewed. Right. So I told the teacher, well, you, if you ask me questions, then I'll answer the questions. And it was kind of a big hit with the kids. They stayed after school. And then he asked me to come to his youth group and do the same thing, and it worked well. And so after the second time, I didn't need the questions anymore. And essentially, I spelt, I've spent the rest of my life from then until now speaking to teenagers. Right, right, and doing major events and doing some really interesting music. When I met you, I don't know, 12 years ago or so, you were doing these huge audiovisual presentations in fact, the focus was not you. I remember sometimes you'd be in the shadow in the corner somewhere, but you'd have these huge screens with visuals and the words on the screen. So what was that all about? Well, the thing is, I come from an MTV world. In North America, particularly those on the East Coast in the New York, New Jersey area, really know me and my band from the early days of MTV. And... Uh, St. Um, John Bosco, the patron saint of youth. Well, yeah. he's not officially the patron saint of youth, but we were thinking of him with that. And uh, he said, learn to love the things they love if you want them to love the things you love. But in my case, I don't need to learn to because I love rock music and I love videos, and that's where I come from. That's my background. And so I share that with the teens who I seek to uh, minister to. Mm -hmm. And so it's just logical for me to do an entire multimedia music video type of presentation because I think the church is almost the last institution in society which seems to put all its faith in the spoken word. Even evangelicals, you know, they use their great bands to do the warm-up, and then they have a preacher just talking for an hour. Mm -hmm. And in our church, of course, it's everything is just somebody standing at a podium and speaking. And uh, so it's no wonder that uh, kids think it's as boring as heck. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I, I just don't do that, you know. I take the culture that I know and the culture that they love and uh, bring Jesus into it. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a new, uh, newish album, We Cry Justice, that, that, that sounds, I mean, it sounds very sal solo, but there's something different about it. It sounds a little more world, world music. Were you trying different things here? Were, were, were you being influenced by other things, or what was happening well, with... Yeah, well, We Cry Justice is um, Catholic social teaching in an album. 
And so I took all of the themes, the main themes that the American Bishops Conference defined as Catholic social teaching and did a song or two on each one. And because it encompasses the world, it encompasses obviously Africa and third world debt and it encompasses a fair wage and the, the, the uh, life issues, um, I wanted each song musically to express um, what the theme is, as well as the words, right. and then they all have uh, rather powerful music videos as well, and a lot of info. It's a great teaching method, and the, the big point above everything else is the fact that our faith is not supposed to be private and secret. Uh, we're supposed to go out into the nations at the end of every Mass. It's go, the Mass is ended, so go out into the world and share this. Mm -hmm. And so Catholic social teaching is not supposed to be something that just certain people do. It's the expression of our faith that we love one, we love one another as Jesus has loved us. And so I love my neighbor as myself. That means my neighbor in Africa, my neighbor in China, whoever it may be. Right. Now, just quickly, because we're <laughs> quickly running out of time, but you're you're sort of taking a little bit of a backseat from doing your own music and, and are now uh, becoming, I think, more of a mentor producer with young people. Tell me what the buzz is. Yeah, well, uh, as you rightly said, I have a long and illustrious ministry career, <laughs> and uh, so I've really started to focus on the next generation. So at the National Catholic Youth Conference in the United States last year, we held a talent contest, and so 10 kids from around the country sang, and they were brilliant. So the winner, Matthias Michael, he has his own album now, which uh -huh. I produced coming out called I Believe, and we liked the rest of the contestants so much, we decided to um, make a compilation album, NCYC's Top Talent, Volume 1, and one song from each of the kids. And uh, because it's so different, because they're all high school teenagers, right. we we started a label, which is a record label, The Buzz, is the first Catholic record label, which is by youth and for youth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the album, NCYC's Top Talent, it represents a great diversity of talent because we've got some very traditional. There's a girl, 15-year-old girl singing Ave Maria. Huh. There's a kid from New York rapping. Uh, there's rock and kind of folk country in there. And one of the things that it illustrates is, first of all, that you don't have to have just one sound to be Catholic music. Right. And secondly, that Catholic music doesn't have to be made by old people. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So the buzz, is there a website that people can go visit? Uh, there's not specifically a website yet for the buzz. Okay. Uh, but the the artists have their own websites. And, and it happens. And and so is that happening under the umbrella of Heartbeat Records? Yes. yes it's distributed by Heartbeat Records, and so uh, the albums will be on sale. <coughs> excuse me. They'll be on sale at CatholicDistribution.com. Uh, they'll be on iTunes as well, and uh, the uh, the winner, uh, Matthias Michael. He's got MatthiasMichaelMusic.com. Right, okay, and so then this new album is going to be released on October 18th. October 18th is the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist, who happens to also be the patron saint of artists. Hmm. And so on that day, the Buzz label launches, and oh, Matthias Michael and NCYC's Top Talent are unleashed on the world. Excellent. I'm looking forward to uh, my copy of that CD. Um, good. So, Sal, that's all the time we have, but so this is good. A lot of information for people. Um, the buzz and heartbeat records people should look for some of this stuff we'll put some stuff on our website um, um salsolo.com is perfectly fine for that salsolo.com excellent so thank you very much uh, great pleasure to have you in the program on the show and uh let's stay in touch okay absolutely a lot of fun thanks 
You can learn more about Sal Solo and purchase his uh, new album, We Cry Justice, at his website, salsolo.com. Here he is now with I Choose Life, again from his new album, We Cry Justice. That concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. If the state allows I for an eye